You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. If you have your Bible this morning, turn to John chapter 17. We continue our march through the Gospel of John. We're already thinking and praying about what our next series will be. We should be done with the Gospel of John here uh, as we cross into September. It's hard to believe that we're staring down another school year, um, but uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be good. If you've got so if you have your Bible, turn to John 17. If you don't have a Bible, there is a pew Bible in the pew in front of you, and John 17 can be pay, found on page. 590. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, please take that Bible uh, home with you. That Bible is meant to be given away. And so our church has gotten those Bibles to be sent out. And so that is our gift to you if you don't have a Bible. So feel free to take that home with you. Over the last, oh, I don't know, a couple of months, we've through John chapter 13 through 16, we've really saw Jesus do some last-minute prep, last-minute teaching with his disciples as Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross to die for the sins of the world and then be resurrected and then ascended into heaven, ascend into heaven. Jesus, for those four chapters, sat down and discussed and taught his disciples what was going to take place. He gave them some final instructions, some final teaching for they, before uh, he left them. Now we're transitioning into something a little bit different. John chapter 17 almost serves as a bridge from this time of teaching from John 13 through 16, a bridge into, we're going to get back into narrative next week in John 18 as we see the betrayal and trial and crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, that's going to be narrative. This is a little bit different. This is a little bit different of maybe genre of Scripture here, because we're going to be looking at a prayer that Jesus prays to God the Father. So it sounds a little bit different than what we've seen really this summer. Jesus is going to be praying here, and a lot of people call this prayer here in John 17, the high, high priestly prayer, one of the most famous prayers in all the Bible. It got its name, the high priestly prayer, because in the fifth century, Clement of Alexandria was studying this passage, and he remarked that in this prayer, Jesus was acting as a high priest on behalf of his people. Now, there's some debate today, as there always is, but there's some debate over the years of whether this prayer should be properly labeled as a high priestly prayer of Jesus, but Jesus is acting as kind of like an Old Testament priest here. He's praying for the people. We see in Exodus chapter 32, after God's people had sinned, they had worshiped an uh, an idol, Moses prayed on behalf of the people for the repentance of sins. Now, this is a little different prayer here at Jesus, but we see Moses interceding in the Old Testament for the God's covenant people Israel. Well, here Jesus is going to do some of that, some of that interceding on behalf of his people. So we even see an Old Testament picture 
of what the New Testament Christ, the Messiah, was going to be doing, even in the high priest picture in the Old Testament. So here in John chapter 17, let's start reading in verse 1. It says this, Jesus spoke these things and looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so the Son may glorify you. Since you gave him authority over all flesh so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you, have get, you, ha, you gave to me, me to do. Now, Father... Glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. So we see in this prayer here, the first thing that really stands out in this prayer that Jesus prays, this is very conversational. This is a conversation between Jesus, God the Son, and God the Father. Now, oftentimes when we think of prayer, we think of prayer as this high, illustrious, holy thing that we do, and it is. The fact that you and I have the ability to communicate with our Creator and pray and talk and have relationship with our Creator given to us by Christ, that's a gigantic, huge privilege, But how many times do we treat prayer as not a conversation with God? And that's simply what prayer is. It's just talking to God. But we treat prayer as almost a spiritual litmus test where we use the these and the thous and oh thou great God of heaven and earth that created all this and that. And there's there's pieces of that in in, in prayer. But oftentimes we're even tempted to do this when we pray, especially in a group setting or in a a large group setting, we pray in such a way where maybe our tone of voice changes and it's not very conversational, is it? And we use prayer and how we pray and what we say in that prayer as a spiritual litmus test that, well, the more these thou's I use and the big words and terminology I use, the more spiritual I can come across. But that's not prayer. That's arrogancy. That's spiritual arrogancy. And we see a lot of warnings that Christ gives about that. But here in Jesus, in this high priestly prayer, we see the prayer by Jesus. It's simply a conversation with God. It's nothing more. It's nothing less. It's a simple conversation. And how much more do we need as God's people, and especially as us as adults, need to remember that prayer is a conversation? It's a conversation between us and God. I love hearing kids pray. Because they, they still have their innocence. The church hasn't robbed them of their innocence yet and in that they haven't realized that to be spiritual, they need to have, use the these and the thous and talk in a different tone of voice and sign like they just gone up like Charleston Heston up to the, get the Ten Commandments and come back down. They haven't, they haven't been in that culture yet. And so kids, when they talk to God, they just talk to God. Well, with Jesus here, he's just having a conversation here with God the Father. And he says in his prayer here, he starts out, he says, Father, the hour has come. 
All throughout John's gospel, we see this terminology, the hour, the hour, the hour. When we see here in John, the hour, what is Jesus talking about? Here Jesus is talking about the point of redemption, his crucifixion. He's saying, God, it's time. We saw in John chapter 2, remember when Jesus turned the water into wine at the wedding of Cana, and uh, Jesus' mother comes to him and says, we've run out of wine. And what does Jesus say? My time has not come. We see Jesus when the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue and the temples, and they, it says in the narrative that when, when they come to capture Jesus, what does it say? Jesus slipped away. Why? Because his time has not come. Now here in John, the time has come. The time has come for Jesus to redeem the world. The hour has come. And so we see that this discussion of the time or the hour. So Jesus is acknowledging to the Father that the time is finally here. And that God the Father will be glorified more than ever before in the death and resurrection of the Son. Now when we talk about the Father is going to be glorified here more than ever, what does that word glorified mean? What does that mean? I think we, we talk about the glory of God and, uh, and God being glorified. And even 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether we eat, drink, or whatever we do, we need to do all of the glory of God. What does that mean? What that means is that the God, the Father, is going to be revealed. He's going to be shown. He's going to be known and the glorified, he's going to be known more than ever before because of the death and resurrection of the Son. See, Jesus in his death and resurrection is going to make God known to the world. It's going to make him obvious. And so the Father is going to be glorified, and Jesus knows that his death, his very reason for coming and living among creation is at hand. That the ultimate point of glorification of the Father is at hand. That the entire purpose of why Jesus came to the planet is going to happen, and so he prays. He has a conversation with God the Father. And so verses 1 through 5, Jesus prays for himself. He prays that he would glorify the Father, that he would make the Father known. And Jesus, in its essence, Jesus is saying, Father, in my death, in my resurrection, make much of me. Glorify me. Reveal who I am as God in the flesh so that I, in turn, can make much of you. See, there's a beautiful dance that is happening here. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, calls this a dance. There we see this beautiful dance because as God glorifies the Son through the death and resurrection, God the Father is in return glorified through the death and resurrection. So they're making themselves known. The Godhead, the Trinity, is making themselves known through this act of redemption that's going to take place. And so Jesus prays, and we even see submission in his prayer, because it's all about God the Father. Well, let's keep going. Let's look at verses 6 through 8 in this prayer by Jesus. Jesus says, I have revealed your name to the people 
You gave me from the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given is from you. Because I have given them the words you gave me, they have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. So Jesus starts out in verses 1 through 5, praying for himself, praying that he'll reveal God the Father and glorify him and that he in return would be glorified, that the world would know. And then he moves down to Jesus is now praying for his disciples. He's praying for his disciples. He says that they have believed. They now know that everything you have given is from you. Because I have given them the words you have gave me. I mean, you would hope the disciples would get this. So Jesus starts praying for his disciples. Let's keep going. Let's keep looking as Jesus prays for these disciples that he's spent these years with. He says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me because they are yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I'm glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me, I guarded them, not one of them is lost, except the son of destruction, so the scripture may be fulfilled. Now I'm coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. So just as the Father sent Jesus to the planet, Jesus here is praying that the Father would send the disciples. Just as the Father was with him, Jesus here is praying that the Father would continue to be with his followers. Jesus knows that rough times are ahead for these 11 disciples. It even kind of mentions Judas in this prayer, the son of destruction. And so Jesus knows that for these 11 disciples, it is going to be difficult. They're going to face hardship. They're going to face struggle and persecution. And so Jesus prays for them. But it's interesting what Jesus prays in verse 15. He says, I am not praying that you take them out of the world. Jesus is not praying that God would take them out of struggle and take them out of of trials and tribulations, but he says that that God would be with them and protect them from the evil one. Now, here's what we need to understand. We've seen this the last few weeks. Jesus calls his followers to uncomfortable places. 
Jesus continues. Jesus told his disciples in his time of instruction with them. He told them at the first part of John chapter 16. He says, I've told you these things to keep you from stumbling and falling down, that they're going to ban you from your, the synagogues, your place of worship, and they are going to, some of them, sacrifice you and think they're going to kill you thinking they're offering a, a service and sacrifice to God. So the disciples have heard this from Jesus. They hear that persecution is coming, that they're going to die for the sake of the gospel. And Jesus prays here, I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So what is Jesus in the essence of his prayer here? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, Father, this is going to be hard This mission they are called to that I am sending them out is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. They are going to be hated. They are going to be persecuted. Protect them from the evil one. See, Jesus here, he's not praying for physical protection, is he? Because if he was, he wouldn't have said, I am not praying that you take them out of the world. Jesus was praying for physical protection for his disciples, then Jesus would be praying, God, take them with me. Let's just all go up to heaven together. They'll be safe there. What Jesus is praying for is for spiritual protection for his disciples. Because there's going to be time when these guys, most of them are going to be martyred. They're going to be killed. They're going to be tortured. And that would shake an individual's faith. Their faith would be shaken. And Jesus is praying to the Father, protect them. Don't allow their faith to be shaken. Protect them from the evil one. And as we see here in a minute, Jesus, when he prays for disciples, he's praying for us as well. So as you go through difficulty and struggle in life, Jesus is praying for our spiritual protection. He prays that we'll have the endurance, the perseverance, the patience to have the grace to endure following him and making him known to the, to the world, to make him known and that our faith would not be shaken. So he prays this, and Jesus is interceding on the behalf of the disciples. Why? Because they are going to be sent out to the world to establish his church. And as Jesus sends these disciples out to establish his church, to spread the gospel, it's going to be uncomfortable. They're going to be persecuted. But he's not praying for them to be withdrawn from the world or to even look like the world, but that they would be sanctified, verse 17. That they would be sanctified by the truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus prays that even in the midst of all of this, that they would be sanctified, that they would be made more pure, made more holy, more, made more like him through the truth, which comes through the word. He prays for this. But now it's interesting, he moves on to another subject of prayer. 
Verse 20, look at it with me. He says, I pray not only for these, those disciples, I pray not only for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you. Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me, so that, so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So now Jesus moves from praying for himself and glorifying the, the Father and the Father, Father glorifying him to moving to praying for his disciples, and now he is praying for those that would believe in him through the disciples. See, here's what is going to happen. I'm giving away the story, but that's okay. Jesus would send his disciples out. He would ascend into heaven, and they would start there in Jerusalem establishing the church. And from Jerusalem, they would be spread out into the regions of Judea and Samaria. They would keep spreading as we see in the Acts. The book of Acts says it's the gospel, the church spreads into Asia to where that every person in Asia was exposed to the gospel. The gospel and the church would spread east or west towards Europe, into Europe. And the church would be established in Europe. And then fast forwarding a few thousand years, you'd have the Reformation. And the gospel would continue to be spread. And to the point to where there were pilgrims that wanted to leave Europe, and not completely for religious freedom, as those some of, some of us would like to think, the gospel would be brought from Europe to the United States, to where you and I are sitting right here right now today because of it. So when Jesus is praying for those that would believe in him through the disciples, who's Jesus praying for? He's praying for the church. He's praying for those that would believe him past, present, and future after his death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. So you know who that includes? You and me. He prays for you and me. The church and what is Jesus praying for us, the church? What is he praying for? One word, unity. Now, when we hear unity, what do we think of when we hear unity? Sometimes we think of potlucks. And we think that we sit down and we eat together and we hang out and we get along well, that's unity. Where sometimes we think about unity that we're gathered around a, a campfire and we're holding hands and singing kumbaya. Sometimes we can think of unity as just simply liking one another and getting along with one another. What is, when Jesus is talking about them, talking about us, that they would be one as we are one, he's talking about unity. What is the unity he's talking about? He's talking about a mission that they would be, that we would be unified around a mission. He says the mission because he says, and so that the world may believe you sent me. The mission, unity is a mission of making Jesus known, making Jesus famous, making him non-ignorable. 
That is the mission giving to the church, and that is what unifies the church. And when you look at the church as a whole, just look, think globally for a second. When you look at the global church that we're part about, we're a really unique, diverse bunch, aren't we? You think about all the brothers and sisters we have all around the world. We don't look like each other. We don't talk like each other. We don't even speak the same language. Yet we are unified in the same mission. We are unified in the same mission of making Jesus known to the ends of the earth. Let's think about our local church here. Right here at Leewood, we're a unique bunch. We might even be a little bit weird. We've got some unique characters, don't we? We're a diverse group. We have young, we have old. We have six months old to 90 plus. We are diverse in our races, in our backgrounds, in the areas of the country we're from. We're a really diverse, mixed up bunch. We're a gigantic mutt. But we're unified in what? In our backgrounds and where we're from and what we do and who, how we talk and our ages? Absolutely not. And if we look for our unity in that, there will not be unity. What are we unified in? The mission. The mission of making Jesus known to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus is praying 2,000 years ago. He says, Father, I pray that they would be unified around the mission that they would not be distracted by any other things, but that they would be unified on the mission. So throughout this prayer, it is all about God. It's all about his glory and his redemptive plan. So Jesus is praying that we as the church would make him famous to the ends of the earth. So when we look at this prayer or this conversation, this is not a prayer, a high priestly prayer, a prayer of spiritual flexing of muscles. Oh no. This is a conversation between God the Father and God the Son and the Son saying, God, make yourself known. Make yourself known through me and my redemptive act upon the cross. Make yourself known through these disciples and make yourself known through your church. So that all will know that you have sent me. In verse 23, Jesus says, I am in them, you are in me, so that they may be completely one. And what's the purpose of this unity between the church and the Godhead? That the world may know. You have sent me and loved me. Love them as you have loved me. So maybe you're here today and you hear all of this and this sounds a little bit strange to you. But let me encourage you to believe. Believe in Jesus. Because as you believe in Jesus, you have a priest. You have a high priest, Jesus, who is interceding on your behalf. And you, as you believe in Jesus, you get to enter into this relationship with the Godhead. And as the church, let's not focus on the here and now and temporary distractions. But let's together be passionate as Jesus is praying for us. 
Let's be unified in the redemptive plan of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and let's together be passionate about making Jesus non-ignorable in our homes, in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, and to the ends of the earth, so that the world may know about Jesus. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for this prayer. We thank you for showing this, including this prayer in your word and what we can see your heart for the glory of yourself and making yourself known to the ends of the earth. And so, Jesus, we just thank you that we as the church get to be included in your redemptive plan. And so we pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that they have not entered into this love relationship with you, I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, call them to yourself. Motivate us as your church that we would just be simply all about you that the world would know that you were sent to this earth, that you identified us with us as human beings, that you died on the cross for our sins, and that you were resurrected to give brand new spiritual life. God, we as a church want to make you known. Give us the ability to do that. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. <laughs>